Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. That's quite the start this morning. We get you rallied up a little bit. Amen. It's always good to be reminded of who we are. It's always good to be reminded of what has been accomplished, what God has done. And it's amazing how trial and challenges can make us forget so quickly what God has done and act like there's more that God needs to do. But I want to be the one in your life today to remind you it's done. It's completed. Look at your neighbor, say, it's done. Look at your other neighbor, say, it's over. Say, it's finished. Man, when he said it is finished, you know what he meant? It is finished. He meant it's a completed work. Now go and walk in what I've made available to you. Hallelujah. Go with me to Romans chapter 12, if you will. Romans chapter 12, and I want to pick up kind of where we've been the last couple weeks. I'm talking about this freedom. What does true freedom, true freedom in Christ look like? What does it mean to be set free, delivered? We saw last week that there is a, a very contrasting difference to God and in the kingdom of God. A difference between deliverance and freedom. A difference between being delivered from something and walking in freedom from that thing. We said this last week that you can be delivered from the oppressor but still in but still live in bondage to the oppression. I'll say that again. You can be delivered from the oppressor but still remain in bondage to the oppression. And we saw the Israelites as an example how they were delivered from the grip of Pharaoh, delivered from the bondage and the slavery and the turmoil that lied for them in Egypt. They were physically removed, geographically removed. Uh, the, the, the course of their life completely altered in a moment. Moses, the deliverer, shows up and over the course of time, Push, pushing and pressing on Pharaoh, and eventually he gives in and says, get these people out of here. And we know that in a moment, overnight, deliverance showed up in their life. And that's how deliverance happens. Deliverance can happen in the moment. Deliverance can happen in your seat today. Deliverance can happen at an altar call. Deliverance can happen in the moment you cry out to the Lord and say, I want your freedom in my life. But the issue is, is that being free doesn't always turn into living free. Being free does not automatically give us a free life. Everything that we just talked about, everything that Jesus has done is a past work. It is over. It is finished. It is completed. You are free today. You have been delivered today. If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have all the deliverance you will ever need for the rest of your life. 
You'll have all the freedom available to you that you'll ever need. You cannot be more delivered than you were the moment you gave your life to Christ. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he translated us, transferred us from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. That's instantaneous. That's in the moment. But what we're taking a look at and what we're finding out over the last couple weeks is that my deliverance in the moment has to be walked out progressively and with effort on my part to truly experience the freedom that God has. And God has not done a work to this point, and his word shows us that he never will do a work that requires no action on our part. That there is a part we play. That he has done his part. He has completed and finished his work, but now you and I have to walk out and incur all of the benefits and all that's been made available for us by the choices and the decisions that we make. You can put it this way. Freedom is a result of choice, not chance. True freedom is obtained by choice, not just by chance. God didn't just handpick a few people that he was going to free, uh, uh, free and deliver and remove the bondage from, and then others are just going to have to struggle for the rest of their life. And some will see some level of freedom, but not complete freedom, not freedom in total. No, he has made absolute, complete, total freedom available to every single one of us. But we find ourselves oftentimes waiting on God to do something else when it comes to the freedom we want to experience in our life. It could be freedom from an addiction. It could be freedom from a past. It could be freedom from a relationship, freedom from a viewpoint, freedom from how we see ourselves. It could be freedom on any level that you may need. We saw last week in Galatians chapter 5, Paul opens the chapter and he says, it's for freedom that Christ sets us free. And then he gives this admonishment. So don't go back to the yoke. Don't go back to the bondage you once had. Now, why would a free person end up back in bondage? Why would Paul even have to say such goofiness, such silliness, such a ridiculous admonishment to someone that has experienced freedom from a bondage from slavery, why would he have to throw in there, oh, but make sure you don't go back to that? We found out last week is because freedom comes with the responsibility. That freedom isn't ultimately free. That if we're really honest about it, sometimes freedom will demand more of us than slavery did. Freedom will impose more restrictions on our lives than slavery did. And so it can be easy to desire freedom and bondage, but then when you become free, start valuing bondage again. And you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but the Israelites, when they came out into the wilderness, what did they start saying? Back in Egypt, we had food. Back in Egypt, we had somewhere to lay our head. Back in Egypt, we didn't have to fight all these battles. Back in Egypt, 
Well, all of a sudden, we forget about the taskmaster's whips. All of a sudden, we forget about the harsh labor. All of a sudden, we forget about being under the thumb and under the rule of the Egyptians. All of a sudden, we forget about all the turmoil and the challenges and the tests of slavery. And now we start highlighting all the stuff we did have. And we do the same thing. We experience freedom, but now the responsibility of living in that freedom becomes more demanding and adds more weight to our life than we had in slavery. And now bondage looks better than freedom. Now slavery looks better than walking in the utmost liberty that God has made available. That's why Paul has to talk to this group and say, make sure you don't go back to that yoke. There will come a point where freedom will demand so much of you that it will feel like slavery was better. And you're going to have to fight that off intentionally. And you're going to have to remember that freedom in Christ is far better than slavery in darkness. Your former life held nothing for you. Your former life was not something ever to be desired. Your former life should never be regretted walking away from. Your former life should not be more attractive than your future life. Your former life should not be more attractive and desirous than the future life that God has for you. And so we kind of ended here in Romans chapter 12. We kind of had a jumping off point and we're going to connect it. In Romans chapter 12 in the New King James, it reads, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Everyone say brethren. So that means we're writing to Believers, we're writing to church folk. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed. Everyone say conformed. Conformed to this world, but be transformed. So he says, instead of conforming to what's around you, be transformed, be changed by, here it is, the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. If you remember, we ended last week. We started in Numbers chapter 13 where I took you to, where, to the point where the Israelites are on the verge of going into the promised land. They actually send in 12 spies and they get to view, they get to see this promised land, this Canaan land, right up front and close. Everything they've been hearing about, everything God has promised them, now they're going to see it tangibly. You would think that would only cause excitement to grow. You think that would only cause them to even more so want to go into this land and take it. But they also saw giants along with blessing. They also saw enemies along with the milk and the honey. They saw a vast land and a vast land that had so much that they couldn't even contain it all. But they also saw the challenge of trying to live in such a vast land. It swallows up its inhabitants, they said. And then they even took it a step further and they said, these giants are so big, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, what would cause someone 
just as we saw in Galatians chapter 5, to tangibly, physically put their hands on freedom and liberty and only see challenge rather than blessing. And then, if you go into Numbers 14, they really put on the griping and the complaining. You thought they were bad at the Red Sea? You thought that they were bad when they were believing God to bring water out of a rock? You should have heard these folks in Numbers chapter 14. They actually started calling Moses out. Why did you bring us into this land? Why did you take us out of Egypt? Don't you know how good we had it back there? I mean, you are so confused at this point. Why is that? Well, we ended last week's service by looking at Exodus chapter 1. When the Israelites first showed up in Egypt, going to Egypt because there was a, a, a global famine. There was a famine across the land. And because of a word that came to uh, uh, Joseph, you're going to have seven good years, seven bad years. And the seven good years, collect all the grain, collect all the food, put it up in storehouses. Because when the seven bad years come, people will come to you to get food. So Israel ends up going to Egypt. Well, the, Egypt, the Egyptians noticed how strong the Israelites were. The Egyptians realized we're going to get overrun and overtaken by this group. They're multiplying like crazy. They're having kids like crazy. They are stronger than we are. If we go to war, they will surely side with our enemies. So what they do? They broke them down in their mind. They broke them down in their thinking. And they did something that Romans chapter 12 talks about. They conditioned them, brainwashed them to think they were weaker than they really were. That's the only reason why a free people, God's nation, a strong nation, would walk into Canaan land and refuse it and reject it. They saw themselves as grasshoppers even though they were the promised people, even though they were the stronger group. And you know what? The enemy's using the same tactic on us today. How do you break someone down? How do you defeat someone that is stronger than you? You break down their thinking. You break down who they think they are. You break down, you recondition them and you brainwash them to get them under your rule and under your submission because if they figure out who they are, you don't stand a chance. The devil does not stand a chance against the church of the living God today, right now. I know it might look dark and I know it might look bleak, but there's a remnant rising that's gonna stand up and is gonna put their foot on the devil's neck in these last days. It will happen. But it's going to take us renewing our minds. Because the only reason we would remain enslaved is because we remain broken in our thinking. The only reason we would remain in bondage to stuff we have been freed from and delivered from is because we haven't renewed our mind to what his word says. The only reason we struggle with the things we struggle with is not because Jesus hasn't done enough. It's not because God didn't finish his work. It's done. It's complete. It's over. You and I have to renew our mind to what his word says. 
but this conforming. The other word you could put there is conditioning. Let me show you this in a couple of different passages in the message translation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Everything I'm giving you today, when I say that Jesus and God has done it all and it's done and now you're just on your own, what I'm showing you is that there are steps you will have to take, but you will have to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to take those steps. You in your own strength cannot do it. And he tells them right here, God helping you. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 1 in the New King James where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Meaning, this isn't because you are strong enough. It's not because you are capable enough. It's because God is working alongside you and the Holy Spirit is on the inside you. I'm adamant that many of the challenges we face, we still struggle with because we don't yield to the Holy Spirit. The helper. (laughs) Who called him the helper? Jesus did. And when the helper, it's almost like he's trying to get something across. It's almost like he's trying to help us understand. He's there to help you. You can't do it by yourself. It's bigger than you. It's stronger than you in the sense that without the Holy Spirit helping you, you will yield to your flesh every time. But man, you've got the strongest one. You've got God in you. He says, God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around life. Meaning, there's nothing that has to change externally. You don't need a different job. You don't need a different marriage. You don't need different kids. You don't need to live in a different place. You don't need to go to a different church. You don't need to do this and do that. We always try to do all these external measures to try to change what God's trying to work on the inside. What God's trying to do on the inside, he's saying you can take all that ordinary stuff and still experience the life of God inside of it. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now look at this in verse two. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. That's what those Israelites did. They became well adjusted to the new norm that the Egyptians tried to impose. The Israelites said, oh, We must not be stronger. I thought we were God's people, but apparently we aren't. Apparently we're just meant to do hard labor for another nation. Apparently we're not better than them, stronger than them, mightier than them, have more of a destiny. Again, this is God's nation. This is God's people from Abraham on. God has marked these people as my people. Remember 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, what's he saying? I've got a group that, is, that I'm using in these days to usher in my kingdom and usher in my glory. That was these Israelites living in bondage and living in slavery to a foreign nation, to a foreign enemy, to a people that didn't care about God, could care less about anything of God, Didn't care that these were God's people. 
And now they've got them under their thumb. Now they've got them under their submission and broken down in their thinking. And they become so well adjusted to their culture. It says that you fit in without even thinking. You know, anybody ever heard that before? What were you thinking? Anybody ever told your kids that? What were you I'll tell Cameron that, and then I'll follow it up with a statement, you weren't thinking. (laughs) Not much good happens. Hello. Not much good happens when we aren't thinking. Conforming is your only option when we don't think. Becoming what's around you is what happens when we don't think. When the enemy breaks you down in your thinking, you don't have much else to fight back with. God can make all the provision available. Jesus could come and die again. But if you don't change your thinking, if you don't start thinking in line with his word, you will conform. You will become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in. You become what they want you to be without even thinking about it. It's time for the church to start thinking again. It's time for the church to start using their minds again. It's time for the church to start using the greatest asset we have and renewing our minds to what the word of God says and quit letting the enemy walk all over us. Walk all over us and introducing things like, well, he put sickness on you to teach you a lesson. Or you don't need the Holy Spirit. No wonder we're so confused about the Holy Spirit because the enemy knows what kind of threat we are to his kingdom if we get a hold of the Holy Spirit. If we start living a spirit-filled, spirit-led life, he doesn't stand a chance. So no wonder he's so opposed to that. No wonder he wants you to be confused about the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to be uh, uh, focused on tongues and what are they really saying and all this other stuff, instead of just receiving what Jesus said you need to have in these last days. No wonder. The church that doesn't think, the church that isn't renewing their mind is a defeated church, is an inept church, is an impotent church in these last days. No power, just talk in word and Everything looking good on the outside. But the church of the last days, the church that he's calling up, is a renewed thinking, a renewed mind church. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed. Here it is from the inside out. Not from the outside in, not with our programs and our rituals and our religious practice. No, from the inside out, that's where God's doing his greatest work. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. The world will bring you down, God always brings you up. The kingdom always causes you to rise up. The world wants you to come down to their level. Stark difference. In the New Living, verse 2 reads this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
In essence, that was, that's what repentance truly means. The word repent actually has nothing to do with an altar call or being sad or, you know, asking for forgiveness or remorseful even. Repentance means I'm changing the way I think. Jesus showed up and his first words were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, why? Because what I'm introducing is gonna require you to think a different way. You can't live the kingdom if you don't think the kingdom. If you don't allow the kingdom of God and everything I'm introducing to change the way you think about parenting, the way you think about finances, the way you think about sin, the way you think about culture, the way you think about relationships, the way you think about marriage, if you don't allow my word to be where you take your cues from, you'll walk in bondage in every situation. You'll walk in, you'll walk enslaved, placing that yoke back on your neck, even though you were once delivered. Even though he brought you out, you'll walk right back in it. And we continue in habitual behavior that we know goes against his word. We walk out things that we know with consistency and continually walking away from what his word has required of us, demanded of us, calls us to live in. Because we haven't renewed our minds, our thinking. God, how do you see this? God, what do you say about this? Don't, I, I'm not concerned with what the presentation of the, the world is, is so contradictory. The things the world is introducing today in relationships, in the way that we behave, the way that we treat people, the way that we respond, the, the things that we accept as normal, the things that we tolerate today become normal tomorrow, become celebrated the next day. Have you noticed this? Things that we just allow, well, you know, there's not much I can do about it. Now we're celebrating. We hold parades and we run through streets with flags and we have all this pride about it now. It's stuff that's sinful, stuff that goes directly against the word of God. Because one day someone said, eh, what are you going to do? You tolerate it. Eventually over time, it just becomes a normal way of life. And now to push back on it, you're the bad guy. <laughs> now to speak out in line with the word of God. We've gotten so far down the line that there's no coherence of what morality any even is anymore. This is what this is the tendency of the world. This is the tendency of, of, of humanity, the breakdown of humanity. And Jesus came to deliver us from all of that. Free us from all of that, but not until we renew our minds. You can be delivered, you can be set free, you can receive that deliverance in a moment, but until you make the conscious effort and decisions in your thinking, we won't experience the freedom that he has for us. The word conform means this. The word conform means to act in accordance or harmony with. To act in accordance or harmony with. It also means to comply. To comply. And this last definition I thought was really interesting. To conform means to become similar. To become similar. 
in form, nature, and character. To conform means to become similar in form, nature, and character. That now we allowed, we tolerated to a point that we can't even be distinguished from our adversary. We couldn't even be picked out if we were standing amongst a group of our enemies, we wouldn't even be, no one would be even be able to tell the difference between the two. And the Israelites had gotten to this point. Even though they're the stronger people, stronger nation, designed and divinely appointed by God himself to be his people, have gotten to a point now that they can't even be distinguished from an Egyptian group. They can't even be distinguished. They are so under the rule and so under the submission and so under the authority that they don't look anything like what God designed them to be. Is that the kind of church we're going to have in the last days? Where's the the, the light set on upon a the, the the light set on a hill that can't be put out? Where where's the church that stands out, set apart? And I'm not talking about buildings and, and lights and all. I'm talking about the people of the church. You and I, the church. Could we be distinguished? Could we be picked out? Could we be set apart, consecrated for his purpose so much so we don't talk like them, we don't act like them, we don't respond like them, we don't treat other people like them? We have to be the people that can be distinguished. We can't become so similar in form, nature, and character. Because here's what's really compromised. If you are constantly changed by what's around you, you hold no power to change what's around you. And the last time I checked, the church was the agent of change in the earth today. The church was the salt and the light of the earth today. You think the world's bad today. Wait till the church is plucked up and pulled out. Wait until the church is raptured. It's going to get real dark, real bad. We were talking about that yesterday at the house with a couple people and, and talking about, uh, uh, you know, the end times and, and rapture and those things. And, man, you think we're up against some challenge and pressure today. You don't want to be around when the church is gone. It's going to be real dark. Because the church is holding back darkness right now. The church is holding back evil. The church is holding back things that the enemy wants to introduce and bring into the earth. You want to make him Lord now. You want to make, you want to go ahead and decide, he's my Lord, he's my God. I give my life fully to him now. You're not going to have to convince me, twist my arm. It's not going to have to get so dark that I finally give in. I choose to make him the Lord of my life today and then become an agent of change all around me. But when we conform, we become similar. I looked up the word condition. Now, the word condition, of course, it can be used in many different forms. So the word condition that I looked up was the form of to be conditioned or conditioned like to condition your mind. Anybody, uh, uh, any athletes ever have to go through conditioning? 
Coach, you do some conditioning with your soccer players? I bet you do. They ain't much use if they're not conditioned. Conditioned to what? Conditioned to run? Conditioned to breathe heavy? Conditioned to sweat? Right? We were talking about this morning, Pastor Caleb, his kids, we had a lot of fun this past weekend, a lot of stuff outdoors, but he said last night his kids were kind of feeling it. Jada and Ella, yep, calling you out. And he was asking them, well, did you drink enough water? She was like, well, I don't know that I had any water to drink, to be honest with you. Well, how come you're not tired, Dad? Well, I work in a garage in 110 degree, sweating my face off all day long. I'm conditioned to the heat. We need a church that's conditioned to the kingdom of God and not brainwashed by the world. The word condition means to be placed in a fit or proper state. To be placed in a fit or proper state. It means to become accustomed to. When I become conditioned to the kingdom rather than the world, I become accustomed to the things of God. I become accustomed to the things that God has for. I become accustomed to healing rather than sickness and disease. Come on, somebody. I become accustomed to love instead of hate. I become accustomed to joy in my life instead of depression and weariness all the time. I become accustomed to peace rather than fear. And now I become distinguished. Now I stand out. Now people are asking me at work why I'm not freaking out all the time because of what's happening in the world. I'm not accustomed to fear. Fear doesn't rule my life. I'm not in bondage to that. I lived that way. It was a horrible way to live, and I don't want to go back. I want to yield to peace in my life. I want to yield to joy in my life. I want to yield to the love of God shed abroad in my heart in my life. But you got to be conditioned to that. To be placed in a fit or proper state, to become accustomed to, it means this, a particular mode of being. A particular mode of being. Being free and living free are two different things. Being free and living free. Man, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are free. Done deal. Over. And I have so much joy and pleasure in reminding you of that, keeping that in front of you. You are free. There's no bondage, no burden, no struggle, no challenge great enough to make you unfree, to undo anything that Jesus has done in your life. It's completed. It's done. It can't be reversed. But now living free? That's on us. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. What's that mean? That means I no longer look at you based on your external and outside appearance. If you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, It's what has been done on the inside that makes you righteous, that makes you a child of God, that now separates you from the world and the darkness. But there is still a responsibility to get what happens on the inside to show up on the outside. But I don't get to judge you based on what I see on the outside. I don't get to judge your life based on what I see on the outside. But between you and God, you have the responsibility of working out 
your salvation. The salvation is that moment. We see that in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not going to be, not if you do da-da-da-da-da, then you will become. He is a new creation. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's in a moment. That's the miracle of salvation. You know, the miraculous hand of God and the miraculous power of God is amazing what it can do. Miracles will deliver you, but mindsets will free you. Miracles will deliver you. By a miracle, God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. By a miracle, He parted the Red Sea. By a miracle, water came out of a rock. By a miracle, manna showed up on the ground. By a miracle, breads, uh, birds bought bread and, and meat, dinner at night. By a miracle, they triumphed over their enemies. By a miracle, God showed himself strong, but they weren't free. They were delivered. God could get them out of Egypt, but he could not get Egypt out of them. Miracles will deliver you. That's why the Bible tells us that when one confesses Jesus as their Lord, all of heaven rejoices. It's the greatest miracle. But if you're waiting on the supernatural power of God, to be enforced in your life, to walk in total and complete freedom, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. It was easier for God to deliver Israel from Pharaoh than it was to deliver Israel from themselves. <laughs> no problem for God. Pharaoh, not a problem. Slavery and bondage, no issue. 400 years, multiple generations, no issue. Getting them to think like free people, now we've got a problem. Because if you won't put forth any effort to live like a free person, to think like a free person, continue to live victimized, continue to look at your past as if that was better than your future, continue to desire and want the things of a sinful life rather than the things of a righteous and holy life, then you will never walk in the freedom that God has destined for you to walk out. Because in a moment, you can be made a new creation. In a moment, old things are past and all things are new. In a moment, by a miracle, by the supernatural hand of God, but living free, it demands the responsibility of renewing our minds. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now today is the day of salvation. I grew up in the old Pentecostal church where every Sunday the preacher preached fire, hell, and brimstone so hard, you, you questioned your salvation, and you thought you, and you were at the altar every Sunday. What I did in the last seven days must have been so bad, I got to get back down there and get my salvation back again. And the little ladies come behind you and they are praying on you and you ain't getting up until they're done. You don't dictate nothing. When you are at the altar call, you are at the mercy of the tongue talking, praise shouting, pew pushing ladies. You ain't going nowhere until they got every demon off of you. Every spirit has been erased out of your life. They got them all, man. We sing, look what the Lord has done about 32 times. Yeah. No, it says the salvation, it's in the moment, right now. Right now. I'm saved now. Born again now. Delivered now. Set free now. I've been removed out of darkness into light now. That's my life right now. That's my position right now. My position is righteousness. My position is in Christ. My position is a done deal. My position. You know, they've done studies. Maybe you've done this with your own pets, dogs, shot collars, and you set up the barrier. You know, over time, you can take that collar off of them, and they will still remain in the barrier, in the restriction, even though there is nothing else keeping them from going beyond it any longer. They have become conditioned. See, the enemy, he broke us down for so long, conditioned us to live a certain way, think a certain way, expect certain things, that even when we've been delivered and set free, we still expect turmoil to be at our door. We still expect sickness and disease to rule our lives. We still expect lack and poverty to just be the way we have to live. No identity, no value and worth. No, when you come into the kingdom, all of those things are made available to you. But until you recondition and renew your mind. I've had people tell me, not, I'm sure it's been said of our church, but it's been said of church, well, they're just trying to brainwash you. Absolutely we are. If you knew how much garbage was in your brain left over from the way of the world, you would be down here begging for a brainwashing, begging for a cleansing by the word of God, begging for a renewal in thinking. Please get the old garbage thinking out, the way of the world thinking out, the subjection and slavery thinking out, the bondage mentality out. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live free. We want to be free. And not just geographically and not just physically and not just from the oppressor. I want to be free from the oppression. All of it. I don't have to go back anymore. I don't have to yield anymore. I don't have to give in anymore. I don't have to feel weaker than anymore. Righteousness is my position. But holiness is my new condition. And I can be in Christ. And still 
look like and become similar to and conform to the world. If we had time, we'd read all of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, but if I was given a homework assignment, that'd be your homework assignment. Read those two chapters. But I want to jump down to chapter 7, verse 1. He talks about the finished work of the cross. He talks about what he's done, and he talks about this need now for us to take on this new freedom, to live in this new way of living, in this new way of thinking that Jesus has made available to us through his finished work on the cross. And in chapter 7, verse 1, it reads this way, So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, that's not since we're trying to obtain promises. It's so we hope to get one day these promises. He says, since we have completed work done, it belongs to you. Let us cleanse ourselves. Responsibility of freedom. Responsibility of freedom. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity, here it is, of the flesh and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion. Because he that started a work, he'll see to it it's completed. He'll see to it that it's finished. But he's made you and I a part of the process. He will not come down against our will and force us. You said you were going to live for me. So now you have to do everything righteously. You said you gave your life to me. So now I'm going to come and I'm going to impose my will on you. He will not do it. Never has, never will. If he could have, he would have done it with Adam and Eve from the beginning. Adam and Eve, they what? As soon as they sinned, they ended up in the blame game. You know, Adam was bold enough not just to blame Eve. He blamed God. He blamed his wife and God. Probably the two worst people you could blame on the earth. For anything. It's bad enough to blame your wife for stuff. My wife gets blamed for everything I lose. She's moved it. What did you do with it? Where are my keys? Where's my wallet? Where did I put this? Where's that? What did you, you took it somewhere. It was, right, it was right here. I know it was right here. You touched it. You come up in here, rearranging things and organizing stuff and putting things in drawers. Which drawer did you put it in? Y'all look straight ahead. Do not look to the left or to the right. But Adam went one step further. He said, the woman that you gave to me. <laughs> Wait, Adam, you must have been on like, you must have been on something. There was, what was in that fruit you took a bite out of, man? You are crazy. You blaming your wife and God in the same breath, same sentence. You ain't skipping a beat. You did this to me. You put her in my life. That's why, that's why we're here. And if I get to heaven and he gives me that same excuse, I'll punch him straight in the face. Adam, what were you thinking? God and my wife, man, it's crazy. Who you blame for your failures is an indication of what you're in bondage to. No, he says we're going to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. 
I've had people tell me, I've asked God to take it away, and he just hasn't. I've asked God to remove this, and he hasn't. And guess what? He won't. He's remained true to his character. I'll look at him and I say, good. Because that tells me the word remains, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never taken anybody else's bondages, and he's not going to take yours either. But he's giving you the grace and the empowerment to cast off the yoke of the old man. The bondage of a former life. The thinking of how you used to live and operate. He's going to empower you to do it. But he never has. You're not going to get the special treatment. He told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You cleanse yourself. You cast it off. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In the Passion Translation, it reads this way. Beloved ones, with promises like these, And because of our deepest respect and worship of God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit. And continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Worship team, if you come. Righteousness. That's God's responsibility. You can't make yourself righteous. No one came into this world righteous. But we all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. For all of us were born into Adam's sin. All of us were born with those shortcomings. And only by the blood of Jesus and only by the work and the sacrifice of his life, his blood that was shed and the nails that went through his hands and the persecution that he endured and the life that he gave, can you and I experience the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? It's not by our works. It's not by our doings. It's not by checking the boxes. It's not by going to church enough, praying enough, reading your Bible enough, doing enough good things. It doesn't work that way. Righteousness is only obtained by submitting to God's plan and what he did. But now holiness, that's on us. That's the renewing of the mind. I don't have to live in the darkened way of the world any longer. I've got to shed off. I've got to remove all that contaminates. I've got to remove all that is keeping me from walking out the plan and the purpose that God has for my life. I've got to step in and make conscious decisions, showing true effort to altering my course from the way of the world. The sad thing is those Israelites, they couldn't do it. They couldn't stop thinking like slaves. Therefore, they always lived at the mercy of Egyptians that were floating in a Red Sea. That even though the oppressor was removed, they still remained under the oppression. Their enemy was floating in a red sea. And yet they still lived under the brokenness of thinking that they subjected them to. 
For 40 years, they wandered in that wilderness. For 40 years, they wandered as free people in bondage. Is it going to take us that long? The extremely sad part was they never got their thinking in alignment. They died in that wilderness. And God had to raise up a new generation that didn't know slavery. That didn't know bondage. That didn't know subjection. That didn't know the crushing of harsh labor. Breaking down in their mentality and in their thinking. Didn't know that. And in Joshua chapter 1, God raises up a new deliverer. And tells them, in three days, you're going to go in. What that tells me is, the turnaround is as quick as I can get my thinking in alignment. Like wander around for 40 years, a free person, enslaved by my past and enslaved by old thinking and enslaved by marginalized mentality, victimized mentality, or as quick as I can get my thinking in alignment, I can start walking in the promises of God. Anybody with me this morning, I want to walk in the promises of God. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? That's just a moment of consecration, a moment of dedicating your mind and your thinking to the Lord. Come on. He says, give give me your body. Give me your lives as a living sacrifice. I want all of it. I didn't just want that prayer that one day you came down. I I don't just want that little act of, God, I'm trying my hardest. I want all of it. Give me your mind, he's saying. Give me your thinking. Renew your mind to what my word says. Every promise, every blessing, it's yours. Would you just lift your hands, close your eyes with me, and just say, Father. Come on, say this with me. Say, Father, I align my thinking to your word, your promise is my new norm. I subject myself to your plan, to your purpose, and no longer do I desire to go back. No longer is my past more attractive than my future. And everything you have for me, I will see it come to fruition. I will walk in the promised land with a renewed mind, with renewed thinking, in line with your word. Now give them a shout of praise. Father, we thank you. We honor you. We love you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.